Before we get going with episode 93, a word from our friends at Chalkboard. Imagine an app that brings your sports betting group chat to life. An app that you can link to your sports book so you can easily share your bets with a simple click while following the game through a live in-chat score banner that makes it feel like you're in the stadium. Sounds too good to be true? No longer the case with Chalkboard. Chalkboard has turned sports betting into a complete group experience. Compete against your friends for the top spot on the leaderboard and share your winnings in the message board. Be the expert with Chalkboard. Now, where do you find it? You can download it for free in the App Store. And when you do so, make sure that you become part of the Odds Honest Truth message board. It's easy enough to do. You can find it. It's in the upper left-hand corner of the app. I've actually been playing along with it or playing with it over the holidays throughout Thanksgiving, really getting into the college basketball season. That's where I've been posting over there on Chalkboard. But basically any sport that you could imagine, you go over there, you make your picks, you see what other people like, who they're betting, how they're betting the teams, whatever it may be. It's just a really fun app. Again, it's free. You download it today in the App Store. Make sure that you not only... Get involved with the Odds Honest Truth message board, but make sure you listen to Odds Honest Truth every week, which is a podcast for In The Money Media. All sorts of great stuff, great content. And again, if you're a sports better, this is a no-brainer. You get to see what other people are thinking. It's the same reason that I like listening to other people's opinions with the horses. No different with sports betting. And it helps too. Maybe you're not an expert or you don't feel like you're an expert in certain areas, but you want to have some, let's say I'm making it up. Next Monday night, Patriots and Bills. Maybe you're really not somebody paying attention to it or you don't really have a great feel. Kind of see what everybody else thinks. There's nothing wrong with taking other people's opinions into consideration when ultimately making the decision on your own. Again, it's for free in the App Store. Download Chalkboard today and listen to Odds Honest Truth throughout the week, part of the In The Money Media Network. Now, without further ado, episode 93 of this show. What's happening? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, November the 29th. I almost said December. November the 29th, 2021, the last Monday in the month of November of this year. This is episode 93 of the show. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, just to name a few. If you're someone who watches along over on YouTube, Search bar Matt Burner, your show. You get this episode along with the 92 prior. On this week's show, going to go into a little bit of the Derby fever, Derby future-ish talk. Uh, the Twin Spires of the Churchill Downs future pool, which just closed the other day. Uh, all others are the three to five favorite. The individual betting favorite is Smile Happy on the heels of that big victory over the weekend. I'm not going to do a full, you know, soup to nuts of the top 20 of the Kentucky Derby point board, but I do think it's at least interesting to talk about the top 10. They have separated themselves. The 10th place horse has four points, 11th has two. And again, we're talking about this many points all told for any of these horses. But if you're someone who you, maybe you got down on one of these betting interests in that pool over the weekend, maybe you're someone offshore, maybe you're somebody over in Europe or somewhere else around the world who is sophisticated enough to have fixed odds betting. Uh, let's just go through the top 10 right now. And then next Monday, we'll go over the top 10 as far as the Kentucky Oaks Phillies are concerned on the point board. It's that time of year. It's a little bit quiet. I know we're getting closer and closer to some big racing. Again, I, I keep talking about Gulfstream reopening. And before you know it, the Derby 
and the Oaks preps will begin in earnest. So uh, just a good opportunity to try to get a little bit of a long-term view on some things, and we'll wrap up talking about the NFL for Week 13. So we'll keep this week short. We'll take, take a look at these top 10 as far as the current Kentucky Derby point standings are concerned. Maybe look at some replays, maybe just talk about some horses in general, and who could potentially be there the first Saturday in May in 2022. All right, let's start with some of the horses who presume to be among the favorites over the winter, or until their next prep race anyway, for the Kentucky Derby next year. Uh, Papa Cap currently is on top of the points leaderboard with 12, Rattle and Roll with 10, Jack Christopher with 10, Smile Happy with 10, Major General with 10, Command Performance with 6, Classic Causeway with 6, Double Thunder with 4, Giant Game with 4, Tough to Tame with 4. The most notable name missing is Corniche. We all know why that's the case with the whole Bob Baffert situation. Uh, So he did not get the points that were on offer for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Therefore, this is what you're looking at for a top 10. And we're only going to go over the top 10. A few of these horses, though, come out of a common race, that being the Breeders' Cup Juvenile out at Del Mar. Now, let's take a look at the chart. By the way, this right here, if you're watching along over on YouTube, is the KentuckyDerby.com page. You can find the Derby horses, you can find the Oaks horses, and anything else that you could possibly ask for. Uh, Over here, this is daily racing form, and you can take a look. This is the chart for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And a couple of big performances from Papa Cap, from Giant Game. Command performance we'll talk about when we take a look at the replay, a little bit disappointing. Then farther back, you've got Double Thunder and Tough to Tame. From a buyer standpoint, a pretty competitive group. Pretty competitive, not overly fast, but I, I wouldn't say they're they're slow by any stretch. Papa Cap continues to improve up to an 88 in the juvenile. Giant Game earns an 86. He continues to take those incremental steps forward that I always talk about. Command Performance did regress from his top two starts. I would say fair reason to consider his run at Del Mar the worst of his career thus far. And then you look at Double Thunder, who has just plateaued. He hasn't gotten any better. Um, it concerns me a little bit because he is not a lightly raced horse by any stretch. As far as two-year-olds are concerned, it's all relatively speaking. And then Tough to Tame just looks a little bit slow right now. Let's take a look at Papa Cap, though. He is by Gunrunner, who is just all-world at this point. Seems like longer is going to be better for him. He still does only have those first two victories to date, and they came going considerably shorter, but he gives off the indication of the impression that he will run all day long. He also happened to, unfortunately, run into Corniche in each of his last two starts, both the Breeders' Cup Juvenile as well as the American Pharaoh. And in both of those starts, Corniche was able to walk out there on the front end. Take a look at Giant Game. These are his past performances for Dale Romans. Career debut, not bad, but nothing spectacular. Comes back when they stretch him out in distance, walks the dog on the front end at Keeneland, draws off and wins for fun. Does improve pretty substantially from a buyer standpoint, though. And then he comes back and he runs very, very well in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. He's a little sneaky, especially when you look at that pedigree. Giants Causeway more than ready on the bottom. Giant game is one that, uh, you know what, going into the race, I didn't have any interest in, but we'll take a look at the replay in a moment. I I think he ran quite well, all things considered. Command performance, I've talked about my admiration for him. I like him. I think he's very talented. My concern now is what's the next step? And I haven't read anything, and who knows, maybe there is something out there. But a part of me, we're... I want to see him run against maidens now. And I know I was championing, run him in the champagne, run him in the breeders cup. What, you know, what do you have to lose? I would like to see a maiden effort. Now break the maiden, 
get some confidence back because again, I thought that breeder's cup was, wasn't very good. And granted he needed to be much closer to the pace following the defection of Jack Christopher, but I still didn't think he would back up the way that he did. And that was a concern. I, I don't have any other way to put it. He's still lightly raced. It was his first time going two turns. It was his first time outside of New York. He had a number of things that he was encountering for the first time. I would like for the first time for him to cross the wire first. And I think the easiest scenario for that right now is a maiden race. Although I understand points are at a premium. So do you really want to bypass opportunities to accrue points knowing that if you just punt on an opportunity to do so, that could come back to bite you when all is said and done, that you're trying to get to the first Saturday in May, trying to get into the starting gate. And do you really, can you really afford to bypass points at this point? I, I can't argue with that logic. I personally, I would like to, to see a, a maiden victory first now. Double Thunder, as I said, he just seems to continue to, to plateau. He, he hasn't really improved much from start one to start six. The buyers, no, they're not getting slower, but they're not getting really all that much faster. So for me, he's still a little bit tough to make. I think he's probably a notch below, but that doesn't mean that he can't improve over time. And then tough to tame, as I said. I thought he was tough going into the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and coming out of it. I, I just don't really see much reason for me to think otherwise. So let's take a look at the replay. This is on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. We're going to let the entire thing just play. And you'll note, again, Corniche is able to make the front rather comfortably. You know what? We can blow this thing up full screen. Clears right off to the front. No surprise there. Giant Game takes up a nice position mid-pack, a few lengths off. of it. You see him kind of in behind horses right now. And then also keep in mind, Papa Cap and the green silks down on the inside. He's in what you would think is a nice pocket position. You see he's a little bit ranked there and behind Corniche up on heels. Both Corniche and Papa Cap, I think, were on the worst part of the racetrack. Conversely, you have up here, this is command performance. This is giant game following him. I think they're both in pretty advantageous positions because I don't think you wanted to be toward the inside at Del Mar, either Friday or Saturday. For Corniche, who was about one and a half to two paths, and Papa Cap, who was one path, I think they far and away ran the best races despite the fact that, you know, there wasn't a ton of running going on from the back of the pack. And perhaps giant game was about to make this run rounding the far turn maybe he actually benefited from being on the outside. I think the thing you want to keep in mind going forward, Papa Cap, yes, they did go an honest pace early on, but I, it, was, it was far from a ballistic pace given the way that the racetrack had been playing. Papa Cap's had a lot to encounter in a short amount of time. He's had a couple of troubled trips, um, one disastrous trip that he ran much better than it looked maybe on paper in the Del Mar Futurity. By the way, here comes a giant game making his big move. You're going to see the big gray in the back command performance just kind of up and down at this point. Papa Cap's going to tip out right now about two, three paths, and he comes with his run, and he actually makes up some ground on Corniche at the end. I, I thought this was a very encouraging performance from a horse who the resume may not suggest he's necessarily among the elite, the points suggest he's on top, but we understand that that's not really how we're, how we're going to gauge this thing. I just think Papa Cap is kind of a, he's kind of an interesting prospect. This futurity, you just draw a line through it. He had a, he had a miserable, miserable trip there. Draw a line through that. The American Pharaoh, again, he just ran into a, effectively a paceless race. He made the first move. In this race in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, he sat down in behind horses and he came with his run. 
trying to run down a loose on the lead Corniche, and he didn't quit. He continues to improve from a speed figure standpoint. You take a look at that pedigree. Again, anytime Gunrunner's name shows up these days, you got to take note. Papa Cap is one that I'm not going to fault anybody that looks at him and says, you know what? He might be something here. I'm not going to fault anybody that says that. Giant game as well, for the reasons that I alluded to earlier. The pedigree is there. He's got Dale Romans in his back pocket. And the way that he continues to improve. Now, look, he's another one. You need to beat winners for the first time. You need to prove that you can do it away from, you know, Keeneland. But he ran well enough at Del Mar for me to think that track isn't going to be an issue for him. The pedigree is there. I think he's a sneaky one. I still want to believe in command performance, but I, I would be lying if I said that Breeders' Cup effort wasn't a little hungry, lackluster. I expected more. However you want to chop it up, I thought he would run better than he did. Yes, he was forced to do something a little bit different than he had ever done in the past, but I still thought he should have performed better. And the other two horses coming out of this race, I've made it clear. I don't think very highly of them right now from a Kentucky Derby standpoint. And perhaps it's silly to even be talking about it five and a half months out, but I know some of you get involved. And heck, I get involved. I've been known to get down on a future bet or two from time to time. So I think any of those top three, I think they're reasonable thoughts behind each one of them in projecting that perhaps their best is still yet to come. So with four of them taken care of, the other big names in the top 10 include Rattle and Roll, Jack Christopher, Smile Happy, Major General. Now, Major General, I thought, was very workmanlike in his victory at Churchill Downs. He's a good horse. I think he needs to improve. He needs to get faster. There's no two ways around that, but I think he's promising. These other horses, I think, have a level of potential, and I, and I forgot to mention Classic Causeway. I think there's an element or a level of potential with some of these runners that is off the charts good. Let's start with Rattle and Roll, who's number two right now, or tied for second with 10 points. He was supposed to go in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. He ended up getting dinged up, couldn't go. This is his most recent start, the Breeders' Futurity at Keeneland. Now, you take a look at the figs. Looks like he jumped up pretty substantially from two back to the victory at Keeneland with an 81 buyer. We take a look. This is it from Keeneland's YouTube channel. He's down here on the inside in the black and red. He's going to eventually tip out. We can blow this thing up full screen. He's going to split horses, comes, finishes with a flurry. This was arguably the first time in his career that he has had luck on his side. You also remember he had that issue at Keeneland where he basically bolted on the far turn, and that was a wrap because he got hit in the eye with some kind of clotted dirt. This is him rolling on the far outside. At this point, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of by how many lengths is he going to win by. He's got a full head of steam, and he looks like he wants to run 15 miles. I think he's extremely promising, and I thought, of the Kenny McPeak horses, well, this is clearly going to be his best shot right now anyway of this upcoming year at a Kentucky Derby championship. He finishes very, very well all, all around, full marks. Yes, he had a good pace to run at, but I thought he ran really well. Now, something else to factor in, do with this what you will. Yes, he was hurt and he was sidelined, but not the end of the world. It sounds like it was all relatively minor stuff. Uh, I have been told that this race maybe on the slowish side as far as the figs are concerned, that they actually should have been higher than what they were. Uh, and based on the horses who have come out of the race and run back, I think it's kind of hard to argue that. 
with the exception of Double Thunder, who technically did improve his buyer speed figure from a 74 to a 75. Classic Causeway went from a 73 to an 84. American Sanctuary, a 71 to a 76. Mr. Boma, a 65 to a 70. Kevin's Folly, a 61 to a 69. Seal Beach, a 50 to a 74. And King Curlin, a 35 to a 51. Every single horse that has come back has run faster. With the exception of Double Thunder, they've all come back and run at least five points faster. I think it's entirely within reason. Just looking at this, never mind the fact that I had someone tell me that this race could be a little bit slow. I think it's entirely within the realm of possibility that this 81 buyer that Rattle and Roll earned is actually closer to a high 80, low 90. If that's the case, he is one of the fastest two-year-olds with route two-turn experience that we had in 2021. Now, thought he was really impressive, this, that, and the other. Then a few days later, a, or I say a few days, it was, I guess a few weeks, uh, another Kenny McPeak horse at Keeneland is unveiled. And his name is Smile Happy. Now, Smile Happy was visually as impressive, I thought, as Rattle and Roll, breaking his maiden at Keeneland. He had a pace to run at, but he was reasonably close, and he went off and won for fun. He's a son of Run Happy. He's out of Pleasant Tap Mare. Rattle and Roll, by the way, has a pedigree that makes you think, He's going to run. Connect Johannesburg. Smile Happy, though, was intriguing because that was his first time out of the box. And typically, the McPeak horses, first time out, they need a little bit of experience. And I think this is a handicapping piece that everyone should always, always, always be cognizant of. When a horse does something that doesn't jive with the trainer's overall body of work, specifically when they run really well for trainers that don't typically have them cranked up first out of the box that usually put it this way. You can think of it as the trainer hasn't done anything different. They don't have them ready to run their best for the first race. They want them to get an education and learn. So typically they don't win first out because they need that for a horse like this to go out and win the way that he did in his career debut for a trainer who doesn't necessarily have him cranked up and ready to roll first out of the box. That was probably much more horse than it was a concerted effort to have him win first asking. They bring him back in the Kentucky jockey club this past weekend and he wins for fun again, two turns, different racetrack, different scenario. He carries more ground than any other horse in the race with the exception of classic causeway, which by the way, from a track standpoint, I still have no idea how that's possible, but he ran apparently two feet farther than Smile Happy did. Smile Happy otherwise ran farther than any other horse in the race. For him to win the way that he did, and yes, yes, I'm nitpicky. He popped to his left lead for the final inside of the 16th pole, but point being, he finished on his left lead. He's only run twice. So I'm not going to hold that against him right now. And his gallop out was very, very strong. I mean, there's a crazy scenario in which McPeak's graded stakes winner from Keeneland, who's a grade one winner, is not as good as this McPeak runner. And he could actually have two of the best two-year-olds as far as a what I'm considering route, true route runners, true two-turn distance types. He could have two of the best, which is, well, it feels good for, for racing in general because McPeak, by all accounts, is one of the genuine good 
we know hay, oats, and water, guys. I just think these two horses have un- unbelievable potential. The potential's off the charts. Now, for Smile Happy to close it eight to one in a future bet, for those of you that had them, I, I don't want this to sound like I'm sitting here calling you a dummy. But to take eight to one on a horse in November of their two-year-old year, there's still five months until the race. When the favorite for the Kentucky Derby is probably going to be two to one or five to two. Like, did you need the eight to one that bad? Let's say he goes off and wins the Derby and pays $6. Did you need that six to be 18 that badly that you bet him five months out? I am a bit, I believe in, in the future bet. I know some people think it's ridiculous. How could you possibly tie up some of your betting capital and that sort of thing? If you're getting fairly compensated, and when I mean fairly compensated this time of year, I, I don't think you can realistically or reasonably take a horse at anything less than, I don't know, 75 to one. And even that is short. I think 100 realistically. Before turn of before calendar year changes over, I think anything less than a hundred, you're you're doing yourself a disservice because you could argue that they're that likely to get to the starting gate. Never mind win the damn race. So to take eight to one on Smile Happy is out is just out of control. But if we're just purely talking about the merits and the way the horses look and the way that they've run and their connections and this that and the other, I kind of have a hard time looking beyond these two is saying that I, I think if you ran the race tomorrow, these are the two most likely winners of the Kentucky Derby, either rattle and roll or smile happy. And I believe they're both same ownership. They're both lucky seven stable trained by Kenny McPeak. I, I mean, based again on the way that they move their pedigrees, all of it. To me, they're the two most likely winners at this point. And that's including Corniche. And that's including Jack Christopher, who we'll talk about in a minute. That's including Command Performance, Papa Cap, any of these others. If I needed to just, you know, hold your feet to the fire and say, you need to identify likely winner. I think it's one of these two. Because they, they have been so impressive in their route races. Be very curious to see what's next for both of them because in my heart of hearts i don't love Gulfstream for either of them but then again if it's not there where oaklawn i could see oaklawn and you're gonna have to split them up you're not gonna run them both against one another so i'm sure one horse will end up in south florida the other one will end up probably at oaklawn maybe the fairgrounds which you would think is going to suit either or both of them because of the way that they run and the way that they finish I just think they're very, very exciting prospects. Now, purely from a fig standpoint, Jack Christopher is still leader in the clubhouse. And that's the thing that's most, I think, exciting about this time of year is you can have a horse like Jack Christopher that many people, I don't want to say many, I shouldn't just generalize, that some people, myself being one of them, say, I, I, don't, I don't see it as far as a route horse is concerned. But if you're a numbers player and you think he's not just a precocious type and he hasn't given off that impression, he's a very professional racehorse. And we can go back and we can watch. 
Maybe we can make that work. There we go. This is as they turn for home in Champagne. Oh, hello, Johnny. I sorry, we're gonna mute that. This is also on the Naira YouTube channel. He's a he's an extremely good horse, and it's unfortunate we didn't get to see him in the Breeders' Cup, but he's gonna have his day. And if you're a numbers player, he's he is the fastest. I mean, I don't know many figs that would suggest he, there's anyone faster. If you want to cold water him a little bit, I suppose you can go through and look at the horses coming out of that and look at command performance and say, well, he regressed significantly. Cavett uh, or Cavode, he regressed significantly. But there's there's reasons behind that. This Cavett or Cavode, again, however you want to pronounce it, he ended up running on grass. Uh, command performance, it was first time, two turns, X, Y, and Z, already chatted about that. So those regressions, I, I'm not going to use those as, as reason that Jack Christopher didn't earn his 102 or whatever it may have been. My, practice, my prankster came back and earned an 80 in his next start. So he kind of checks out from a numbers perspective. My point is, if you liked Jack Christopher early on, you have every reason to continue to like him now. If anything, you're probably going to get a better price on him considering some of these other two-year-olds continue to sort of come into form and, and, and show themselves as potential big-time runners. I maintain I'm still in on the idea that Jack Christopher is a one-turn type. I think he could be Jackie's warrior all over again. But having said that, if you're looking at it purely from a number standpoint, Jack Christopher is as fast, if not faster, than everybody else in this group. And again, Corniche is the one that I haven't talked about for the reasons that are obvious. Right now, he doesn't have points. Talent-wise, maybe it is there in spades. I'd be curious to see what happens when he gets headed, going a route of ground by a genuinely fast horse. Um, but he's done nothing wrong, and I can't, I can't totally knock him. But just for me, and I know I'm only talking about the top 10 on this list. There are other horses down here that we can talk about, but they've only got one or two points. And we will revisit this topic many, many times over over the next few months. But boy, it's hard for me to look past horses like Rattle and Roll and Smile Happy right now, purely from a likeliness as far as running style and pedigree and connections for a race like the Kentucky Derby. From a value standpoint, betting them now, either of them, no, I mean, you, you can't do it. You're just going to get, I mean, you can, but you, at that point, you're not someone who I, I'm, you're not someone who's looking at it from a value standpoint. You're looking at it saying, I think he's going to win the race. Or you're not looking at it realistically because the likelihood of them even getting to the race is a tall order. Just based on history, things happen. And then to get to the race and then beat 19 others, you know, there are, there are many, many things to go. But boy, it's exciting to talk about both of them. And by the way, I shouldn't give Classic Causeway short shrift. Classic Causeway, I think, is a, is a pretty, pretty darn good racehorse. He's got pedigree. I don't think distance is going to be a problem for him. And I know he's flattened out twice in his two-turn races. But the Breeders' Futurity, remember, he needed to be hustled out of there from the far outside post. And in the grand scheme of things, that race came apart with the exception of him. And then that Kentucky Jockey Club, I think he just got beat by a really good racehorse. You take him out of it, he wins. I think Classic Causeway is still a horse. Don't, don't write him off just yet. I think there's, I think there's talent there, real ability. Uh, maybe it's not smile happy ability. Maybe it's not rattle and roll ability, but I, th I think he can run. So don't totally write classic causeway off just yet. Let me know your thoughts about what we've seen so far from the two-year-old males with the Kentucky Derby as the goal, both from a value standpoint, visually what you've liked, what you haven't liked, 
maybe some horses off the radar. We only talk about the top 10 right now on the leaderboard, but we know there are 10 more slots. And we know that these horses have so few points right now that there's a chance that some of the ones that we just talked about won't even be in the top 20 when all is said and done. So let me know if there are other names that you want brought up on this show over the next few, uh, next few months, over the next few weeks, but yeah, next few months even, given that we've got five weeks, or Jesus, <laughs> we've got five months until the Kentucky Derby. Let's wrap this thing up. Let's get off to some football, talk about week 13. Let's get into some NFL projections for week number 13. After a couple weeks off the holiday and just a complete omission on my part, I think also there was an element of, and, and anyone who's ever put together models or has ever looked at projections and things that there are different data points that need to be crunched and, and put together. For anyone that's ever done that, I think there's always a, an element of you can always be learning and getting better. And I felt like it was good, but it could be better. So I kind of tore it apart, rebuilt the NFL one in a similar fashion to the way that I've put together my college basketball one, my NBA one. Just nothing astronomically different, but a couple tweaks here and there. And I'm hopeful we'll get a little bit more, let's say, accurate representation of what some of these outcomes could be. So we'll start with the Thursday night game. Dallas Cowboys at the New Orleans Saints. The Cowboys are five and a half point favorites. I've got Dallas winning 28 to 21. It's a 73% chance of victory. Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Atlanta Falcons. The Bucs are 11 and a half point road favorites. I've been winning 33 to 17. That's a 90% probability of victory. The Arizona Cardinals at the Chicago Bears. The Bears are seven-point home dogs against Arizona. You probably get Kyler Murray back. You probably get DeAndre Hopkins back. I think Arizona wins 29 to 15. That is a 90% probability. LA Chargers at Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals are two-point road favor. Excuse me, two-point home favorites. I have them winning 25 to 21 over the Chargers. 62% probability. The Minnesota Vikings at the Detroit Lions. The Vikings are seven-point road favorites. I have them winning 26 to 17. 76% chance of that happening. Indianapolis Colts at the Houston Texans. The Texans are eight and a half point home dogs. I have the Colts winning this game 27 to 15. 84% probability. Denver Broncos at the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are 10-point favorites at home. I think that's a wild, wild, wild number. I think people are getting a little a little bit ahead of themselves just based on that most recent win over Dallas. I mean, this Chiefs offense is still not clicking the way that it typically has. And yes, the defense was able to hold what I think is a good Dallas team at bay. They've still been terrible all year. And I'm not going to let one result or one game sway my overall opinion. I think the 10 is a crazy, crazy sort of over overreaction. And I'm not suggesting they're not going to win. I've got Kansas City winning 24-20, to 20, but I just think 10 points is a massive number against a Denver team that, say what you will, are they the flashiest team in the world? Not by a long shot, but I think they're actually pretty good. I've kind of been on that bandwagon all year. They feel like a prime contender for offseason. You go out and get Russell Wilson. You go out and get Aaron Rodgers. They get either of those two guys along with the weapons they've got on offense and their defense, I think Denver next year is going to be a handful with an upgraded quarterback. 
I think they lose this game 24 to 20, but I think they can easily cover that cover that spread of 10. I think that's just a wild, wild number. Uh, 64% chance of winning for the Kansas City Chiefs. New York Giants at the Miami Dolphins. The Giants are three-point underdogs on the road. I think this is a close game. I don't have a strong opinion either way. I have Miami winning 19 to 18. I'm just calling it a coin flip, 50-50 right down the middle. Philadelphia Eagles at the New York Jets. The Eagles are six-and-a-half-point road favorites. I've got them winning 28-16, to but I turned the probability way, way down to only 60% because I still don't like this Eagles team. I think they kind of stink. The Jets aren't very good, but they have their moments. And I could certainly see this thing playing out in a scenario in which the Jets actually get the job done. So instead of what probably should have been closer to a 78 or 79% probability, I, I've rattled that thing all the way down to 60% just because I don't trust Philadelphia. But I do have them winning 28-16. to 16. Uh, Washington football team at the Va- uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, the football team is a 2.5-point road dog. I have them losing 24-19 to 19 in Vegas to a Raiders team that they're just kind of hanging around. I still don't love them, but they're, they're capable of, of putting up a good fight. On any given weekend. Now, this frankly, this is probably one of the games that they end up losing after such a big victory on Thanksgiving over a team like Dallas. But uh, I think the, the the Raiders get it done, and I think they actually covered the spread. I've got them winning 24 to 19, 65 percent chance of that happening. Baltimore Ravens at the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Ravens are three and a half point road favorites. This is always a gross game. I think both teams stink. Uh, I have Baltimore winning and covering 24 to 19, but I could just see this being just a, an absolute dumpster fire, very similar to the Sunday night game from this past week between Baltimore and Cleveland. Just I don't think either offense is good. Lamar is clearly the best player on either team, um, but just the way that they play is just so god bad. It's disgusting. So anyway, it is what it is. I think Baltimore is a better team than Pittsburgh. And by the way, I'm saying that about <laughs> the way Baltimore plays. Pittsburgh is gross. Gross, gross, gross. I don't think either of those teams are any good, uh, but I do think Baltimore covers. I think they win 64% of the time. Jacksonville Jaguars at the LA Rams. Jags are 13-point road dogs. I think the Rams win 29-14. to The Rams need a get-right spot. They need to get things back on track. Jacksonville is not awful, and I know their record says they're awful, and, and some of the results would suggest that as well. But you've seen some instances where they've played relatively... I'm trying to think of the right way of putting it. They they don't just totally pack it in. They may not have the horses to run, but they don't just totally pack it in. They're still a shell of a team compared to the Rams. I think the Rams get the job done. I think they get things going again. 29 to 14, Rams at home get the job done and cover that number. I have them winning 90% of the time. San Francisco 49ers at Seattle Seahawks. The 49ers are two and a half point road favorites. I guess San Francisco may be better than I think they are, but I still have major reservations about their overall ability. Seattle is not good, but these games are always close no matter what, regardless of the instance and whatever situation each team is in. I think Seattle wins, but I don't know I, I don't know why I'm, I'm kind of down-ish on the 49ers because they do tick many boxes. I'm not saying that they can't win this game, and I'm not saying they can't beat many teams. I just don't think they're quite as good as maybe they've been made out to be. I have Seattle winning 22-21 to 21 as a home dog. Do you ever think you would see that? Seahawks is home dogs with everything that we've always heard about the 12th man, this, that, and the other. By the way, for what it's worth, I've got home field advantage being .39 points right now. 
So not even a full point. That's why you see so many of these road teams go into hostile territory and come away victorious. It's just kind of the nature of the beast these days. And then we'll wrap up on Monday night. New England Patriots at the Buffalo Bills. The Patriots are three-point road dogs. I think the number is spot on. As much as I believe in New England, I think they're legit. I think this is... This isn't smoke and mirrors. This is a team that is putting it together, and it feels like early 2000s New England Patriots, what I grew up seeing. Efficient offense, solid defense, good special teams. You don't do anything too flashy, but you you do everything well. Buffalo's had a few hiccups, but I still think they're the team to beat in the AFC between these two teams. I think it is, genuinely, between the Patriots and the Bills. I'll give this one to Buffalo at home. If you flip the script, and I know I just said that home field advantage doesn't even account for a half point based on my numbers. Maybe when they go to Gillette in a few weeks, I'll look at it differently and say New England, I'll give them the nod, and who knows? Maybe the the way things play out, they'll just get the nod anyway. But I'm going to go with Buffalo 26, New England 23, a 58% probability there. That is clearly not with my heart. My heart will be with the Patriots, but um, just based on these numbers, what the what the models spit out. Buffalo Bills 26, Patriots 23 next Monday night in Buffalo, which would be a push as far as the spread is concerned, depending on when you get it. So uh, there you have it, a look at next week's games in the NFL. Let me know what your thoughts are about any of those beneath the video player on YouTube. If you have questions, comments, uh, just in general about modeling and, and if any of you do it for any sports or for the horses uh, please let me know because i'm always looking to pick the brains of people who do things and have done things for years and may do things better than i do or differently than i do um i've just pulled from so many different resources and i if, if any of you out there do the same sort of thing i'd love to hear from you as well either beneath the video player on youtube or on twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. That's going to wrap up this week's show. Thank you again to all of you who listen and watch week in and week out. Again, you can find the podcast in many different ways. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com over on the YouTube channel. Uh, search bar Matt Bernie or show. you get this episode along with all the others that we have recorded in the past. I'll be back again next Monday. But until then, best of luck, however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been the Matt Bernie or show. <laughs>